Thank you for flying with Divided We Gang. Today's host, Styles, Psychomantis on PS4. Boarding is now complete. Prepare to launch in 3, 2, 1. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Divided We Game podcast. This is Styles, your stylish MC. I'm uh, coming to you from my basement room, so uh, you're going to have to forgive some of the extra sounds you might hear, some cars driving by outside the window, etc. Maybe some creaking from the this old, old ceiling, which is actually the floor <laughs> above me. But uh, I welcome you all back. Um, this is going to be a really fun episode. We're here to talk about the ninth generation of gaming, which includes consoles such as the PlayStation 5, the Xbox Series X, and now recently announced within the past month or two, the Xbox Series S. So yeah, I'm going to go into kind of just an overview about how I feel about this generation, um, what are the advantages to this generation, etc. I'm going to ask and answer a couple of questions as best I can with the information that I've seen out there and what's available to me at the time. Um, This has been an interesting console generation in that we have not, because of COVID-19 and because of some other issues with production um, related to that, there have been a lot less showcases, a lot less videos, a lot less articles. Basically, we've got less information up to the launch of these consoles than probably any console generation ever in the past, with the exception of some of the early ones where there wasn't as much uh, video game media and hype around the industry because it wasn't as big. But yeah, in modern times, for sure, this is the least that we've known about consoles um, up to their launch, I think, in some ways. In some ways, Microsoft has been very open about their design, and we have got teardowns within the last week or two uh, of the PlayStation 5 finally. Uh, Microsoft did their teardown pretty early and they let people like Digital Foundry make videos where they put the system together and kind of showed how it snapped together with like a a no screw magnet version of kind of Lego version of the console that let them kind of understand how the design works and stuff. So we've got a lot about the internals and stuff, but, but yeah, as far as seeing them running, people having hands on with them, it's only been a week and a half or two weeks maybe with the Xbox uh, Series X. Um, I don't know. I haven't. I've heard very little about the Series S. Not even sure if it's out in the wild to reviewers yet. I assume it is somewhere, but mostly I've only seen Series X info and the PlayStation Five. Um, as of today, which I'm recording on the 24th Saturday of October 2020, um, as of today, the PlayStation Fives have been in the hands of YouTubers, reviewers, people like that, people in the real world that can talk. Well, can't yet talk about it because of the embargo but at some point we'll be able to say their honest opinion about it um it's only been in the hands of those types of people for a couple days maybe two days maybe just today they're getting them some people have got the controller early it seems like the controller is going to come out on the 30th so this next week i got a notification saying that my remote is there today to pick up so if i want to pick up my media remote it's supposed to be available today um so i might go pick up that at some point and then maybe do a short review of it or something. But yeah, 
Um, I plan on at some point, uh, doing my best to like, you know, do another review one of the consoles once they come out. But yeah, so information is sparse, but we do have, like I said, we've had a teardown. We have a pretty extensive information about the clock speeds for the processors and the architecture for both systems. So there's a lot that we do know. Um, we already know a lot about Microsoft and Sony going into this next generation because of this last generation and because of what we see them doing business-wise and where we see their focus and support going. We know what studios they own. Microsoft recently made a huge acquisition of a bunch of studios, which I'll partially talk about. So yeah, we do know a bit, and I'm going to talk about what we do know and how that applies to this next generation. So I like to start out um, basically uh, by talking about the ninth generation of video game consoles. Uh, a lot of people will probably say that the ninth generation of home video game consoles will be the last. This is a statement I don't personally agree with, and I'd like to say that if it were to be the last generation of home video game consoles, either because of advances in game streaming technology or the ubiquity of gaming-capable mobile devices, I think we'll be going out on top because I think that this is going to be the greatest generation of home video game consoles. Not just in power, which is obvious. Obviously, each generation you know, is more powerful than the one before it significantly. But the vision uh, of these of these consoles, the vision of what these people are trying to do with these consoles, what these two companies are trying to do with these consoles, and, and don't forget about Nintendo. We will talk about Nintendo in a little bit too. But also what they'll be able to do for gamers and the experiences that they actually have when playing video games. And so that comes to the first question that I want to ask and I want to try to answer as best I can, and that is why does this generation matter? why even upgrade why why if you have an xbox series x or a playstation 4 right pro right now which is the you know the versions of those consoles that i would recommend um why would you upgrade why would you buy a new especially considering that even though sony has said that they're really about generations and there's going to be a lot of exclusive games a lot of the ones that we see launching early are going to be uh you know multi-console they're going to be on the previous generation too so you know miles morales spider-man that's on ps5 but it's also on ps4 and horizon uh forbidden west that's on ps5 it's a ps5 game it has been touted as a ps5 game from the beginning but there will also be a ps4 version so the question gets even stronger then and and microsoft has said from the beginning they've said you know we want to move on to a new console generation but we want our games to be playable by every the most amount of people. We want everyone to be able to play them. So if you have an old console for at least the first couple of years, we're going to support those consoles. Our games will be playable on those consoles. And, uh, you know, they haven't been very specific. I, I think a lot of people assume that that means that they'll have a version that runs on that console natively. But it could also mean that you have an Xbox Series X game that runs and uses features only the Xbox Series X can provide. But on those previous consoles, the Series S even po perhaps possibly too, but especially the Xbox One X and the X original Xbox One, perhaps the way that they'll be able to play those Xbox, some of those Xbox Series X games is not through having a native version that runs on the console, but through using something like game streaming through xCloud, where there is an Xbox Series X style capable hardware running somewhere, running the game with all the features, and then it's just streaming the video to your Xbox One or your Xbox One X or, or your Series S or whatever, and you use that. Because that's going to become, I think, I, right now I think you can get 
Microsoft game streaming through xCloud separately from uh, Game Pass, but I don't think that will last forever. I think there's going to be um, eventually a point that comes where we're looking at you know, that being one service, like you buy Microsoft online or Xbox online, and it comes with the ability to play against people, everything we've always had with Xbox live chat, all that stuff, messaging, but then also game streaming through xCloud and also game pass, which is Microsoft's new subscription service where you subscribe and you have access to every game on the service and you can just download it and play it whenever you want. And that's a really powerful service. It's basically Netflix for gaming. I mean, people have been trying to do this for a while. Sony, has had PlayStation now for quite a while and they even allow game downloads through that now. So it's similar though. It's mostly more of an X cloud competitor. It's somewhat has a game pass element to it. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much Sony leans into PlayStation now going into this next generation. Um, so yeah, some things to think about going into this next gen reasons why perhaps it might be important. So why upgrade? What is the reason for upgrading? Why does this generation matter? Well, with each generation comes an increase in power, processing power. This is a significant leap. Some people might not see it that way. You might look at PS4 games and some of the videos that have come out for PS5 games and say, well, I mean, it looks, you know, the lighting's better, there's higher resolution, frame rate, etc., particles, stuff looks better, but is it the huge leap we got from, say, PS2 to PS3 or something like that? And I think it is. And I think that the ways in which that will come out will be more obvious over time. But I think that the important things that we can talk about are, first, um, the obvious things that happen when you move to a new console. So you, with that upgrade in power, what does that mean? Why do you care? Well, one thing that it means, it means higher visual fidelity. That means, you know, for layman's terms, that means just things look better. Just that it looks more realistic or more... Uh, beautiful as far as the specific art style they're going for if their game isn't going for photorealism if it's going for like an animation art style or whatever style it's going for it just it nails that it's able to nail that more with less restrictions to the ability to do that and a lot of times this is judged by looking at the games that attempt to be photoreal and seeing how close they are to reality and i think we're going to see much much closer uh to reality photoreal looking games in this generation because of some of the things that you can do as far as just the CPUs in the last consoles were so limited and it really limits the things like the amount of raw polygons you can have on screen and using interesting techniques like um, ray tracing and stuff, which I'll talk about a little more in a minute. And ray tracing is basically where for every polygon in a given, every triangle that makes up the three-dimensional objects, for every one or for a significant number of them, groups of them, you're saying, okay, there's a light source here. How does it affect this set of polygons when it hits them? How much of it bounces? Where does it go? Uh, and that makes lighting look incredibly realistic. There's something about the uncanny um, ability of the human eye and the human brain to detect small differences from reality to what you see in games. And ray tracing just takes that so much closer because it's doing what light really does. Light is doing what it really does. It's bouncing off things. It's affecting things around it. It's, you know, the, that effect where you can either have a room be a certain amount of illumination in a game, or you can have a light illuminate that room and have it change dynamically. That's what ray tracing will provide. 
And so that's going to be a significant feature. And that's something that's baked into the new consoles. So that's something that's part of visual fidelity. And it's going to increase the beauty of, of these games. And we'll see it, you know, used with, uh, you know, sparingly used because it's not it's not a feature that can be easily implemented. It takes a lot of processing power to do, even on these new consoles. So you won't see it in every game. And you might see modes where maybe they have higher frame rate, so, you know, smoother uh, video version of the game. And then they have a less smooth, uh, maybe a lower frame rate version that also has ray tracing, so it looks a little prettier. So you can have your really high-functioning, smooth animation style or you can have like a slightly less smooth but very, very beautiful style of gameplay, which is kind of what they're doing with the PS5 Spider-Man game, and I expect to see a lot. So that's part of visual fidelity. That's one reason you want to play on these new consoles. It's one reason to upgrade because you're not going to get ray tracing in a, the significant way you will with these new consoles. Now, people like um, Crisis, the people, the makers of Crisis and the creators of CryEngine, um, you know, they've gone in and they've implemented ray tracing on the current consoles and they've done some really cool things. Um, sparse voxel occlusion, Svogi, um, it's called SVOGI. That is something that they're doing also, which is really cool. It's a ray tracing like feature. It's a really high, high fidelity, high processor intensive feature most of the time. And they found a way to do it on the current consoles, but you know, that was a small, small use case. Other than that, you don't see it and you won't see it going forward. And you're going to see a lot more ray tracing with these new consoles. That's part of the visual fidelity. That's one reason to upgrade because that will help with immersion. You'll feel more like you're sucked into the game when you don't notice little differences in lighting or when you subconsciously notice how good and how realistic the lighting looks. And that just draws you in. And so that's one thing, ray tracing. And then also HDR. HDR is such a huge deal. HDR is where you have just a huge, huge range of brightness and darkness. You have blacks that can be completely black, basically just like like within OLED screen where you have just the actual source of light not there and similar to the new mini LED screens where they can basically turn off the backlight behind the dark parts of the image and then extremely bright parts of the image where you can turn the backlight way up or with OLED where you can turn those diodes to be extremely bright and you get those extremely bright parts of the image that contrast with the dark parts. And that allows you to just show more range in the image, which allows it to have a higher range of contrast. Colors look more vibrant. Everything looks a little closer. Uh, if you do it right, it looks a little closer to real life and how your eyes really work when they look outside. Cause we can perceive really high levels of brightness with our bare eyes and, and really, dark, dark blacks. And so that's something that HDR enables. And it's uh, something that's been done in photography for a long time where you'll uh, use a higher exposure and a lower exposure of an image and then a medium exposure, perfectly level exposure. And then you'll combine all three images to get the darkest parts of the lower exposure image, the brightest parts of the higher exposure image, and the overall uh you know, look of the the perfectly balanced image and you'll combine them to get the best of all three. This is basically doing the same thing in, in real time. So it's it's complicated to do because you have to have color and brightness data, three times as much color and brightness data, you know, like kind of in a way. It's kind of like that. It's not, it doesn't translate directly like photography does, but basically the end result is you have more data that you got to push around. And so 
there's that and that's going to make images look better and that's part of visual fidelity and that's a reason to upgrade to the next generation and then we have the overall power of the consoles pushing more polygons so that's just higher uh, higher quality models and then pushing those models at higher resolutions which means just a better quality image that's ultimately spit out to your tv screen more dots on the screen that are unique making up the image so if you're running a 1080p tv you know that'd be 1920 by 1080 and then if you're running a 4k tv it'd be 2160 and so um you know by by 4k three i think it's three thousand something um one way and then 2160 the other way so yeah that is is the difference between the new consoles they're going to be pushing 4k for a lot more games with higher quality models and the other thing that they'll be doing is pushing higher frame rates which means more images per second spit out to your screen which means that your eye will have a harder time differentiating between one frame and another making for just an overall smooth image that looks like what you see when you look in front of you and you see the real world because the real world, you don't really see a frame rate. There is a rate at which your eye is able to perceive differences and changes in light in the environment and movement. And people say it's around 30 frames a second or so for, for something that's really obvious. Uh, movies are filmed, for example, just around 30 frames, 24.6 or so, you know, up to 30 frames a second for more, a lot newer digital video. And so, um, you know, if you watch normal video, that doesn't really that seems smooth to you. It doesn't seem unrealistic. It doesn't look like a flip book, which would be a much lower frame rate. Maybe you're only flipping five pages a second. Then that's a, f you know, five frames per second. You flip a flip book at five pages a second. You see how choppy it is. That's kind of what you're looking at with frame rate. The higher the frame rate, the more images per second, the smoother it's going to look. Now, this is a lot bigger deal when you get away from things like video and you get towards things like games because when you're gaming, you do something, you move the stick, you move the D-pad, you press the D-pad, you press, you know, a button, you want to see something happen on the screen. And the difference in time between when you do it, and when it happens on the screen, or how smooth the animation looks when you when your character does it, when it's moving from one motion, you know, place in space to another and doing an animation, that's all affected by frame rate, the higher the frame rate, the more you're going to feel connected to that character, the more you're going to feel as soon as you press a button, it happens. The more you're going to feel as soon as you shoot a shot, it goes exactly where that object was when you shot it because there's so many more frames where that object is still in the same place. If it's 120 frames a second, then in one second of movement, you have 120 frames that can be calculated where that person's head is where your bullet was. If you have 30 frames a second, then there's only 30 frames where that bullet can end up where their head was. And if it doesn't end up in one of those 30 frames, it's going to miss. And so realistically, what you see and what happens in the game are connected by frame rate. So it's incredibly important for video games in a way that it will never be for movies. It can make movies look smoother, but not in a way that really affects your experience like it does with the video game. So... What's the frame rate difference between the last gen and this gen? Well, last generation games struggled to hit 4K at 30 frames per second in a lot of cases, especially if they were doing things like HDR. Because like I said, HDR uses more data. So when you combine that and then higher frame rates and then higher resolution images, you're pushing a lot of data. And so 
In order to do that, the consoles have to have more computational power with, with both the CPU and the GPU. The GPUs in the last consoles weren't terrible, and I mean, a lot a lot has changed in the GPU space. They've gotten much more efficient, but the last console's GPUs were pretty decent. The problem was that the CPUs were very limited, and so when things become CPU intensive, it becomes very difficult. These newer consoles have much less of a difference between the current CPUs on the market and the ones that are being used in the consoles. There is still a gap. You can still buy a consumer PC uh, nowadays with a processor, a CPU that's going to be more powerful than in either of the consoles. Um, But yeah, but so, so the difference between the, the last gen and this gen is that last gen 4k 30 was hard to hit. And a lot of times you had to use special techniques that, you know, reduced the intention, the, the amount of intense processing that needed to be done in order to hit full 4k resolution. Sometimes you had to render the game at a lower resolution and then use upscaling techniques like checkerboarding and stuff to hit that. And which in many cases can look as good as native, especially if you're using an AI fueled uh, solution like Nvidia's DLSS, although we won't see that on either of the current consoles uh, because it's NVIDIA specific and the current consoles use AMD GPUs, although AMD may have a solution that is very similar, some type of AI upscaling that they eventually implement. But for now, we don't know about that. Um, What we do know is that the previous consoles had trouble with their CPU hitting 4K30 without things like checkerboarding, and the new consoles should hit 4K30 no problem with even significantly higher levels of visual fidelity. A lot of games with similar visual fidelity, certainly, and in some cases with significantly higher visual fidelity, will also be able to hit 4K 60 frames per second, which is kind of the sweet spot for frame rate. Um, For most video games, you want to hit 60 frames per second. That's a standard. 30 uh, is used in a lot of really visually incredible games, and it ends up being plenty for a lot of those games. Uh, Examples include games like Ghost of Tsushima or... uh, um, the last of us Two. both those games are incredible games. They feel great to play and they run in 30 frames per second. Would they feel better in 60 frames? Well, we're going to find out because the PS five is guaranteed to run at least ghost of Tsushima at 60 frames per second through backwards compatibility. So, uh, you know, with this next gen, a lot of your old games are going to run better, which is something we'll talk about in a minute as a reason to upgrade. But yeah, so, so 60 frames is where you want to hit, and these new consoles should be able to do full 4K resolution at 60 frames per second. And in some cases, for games that are not visually high in fidelity, that are less intensive, or that decide to not use HDR because of their presentation is not needing it as much, or decide to drop other features, you will be able to do 4K 120 if you have a capable television. Now, um, this is where we get into some TV stuff. There is an HDMI specification, HDMI 2.0, uh, 2.0B specifically, and there's also an HDMI 2.1. Most displays that are on the market now are HDMI 2.0 slash B, or 2.0 if you just want to call it that for shorts. And there are, the new consoles will support features that are specific to HDMI 2.1. HDMI 2.0 can only carry an 18 gigabit per second signal, whereas we're talking 48 gigabits per second with HDMI 2.1, which enables more features to run simultaneously. For example, having 4K at 120 frames a second and HDR, etc. And so um, there are very few displays out there that can support um, these features. 
there are uh, some Sony, some LG displays that can do it. There are even less displays that can, maybe no displays on the market that can support every feature that is available to HDMI 2.1 spec simultaneously. So if you're talking about a feature for like Dolby Vision and then you're talking about 4K resolution and 120 frames a second, there's nobody that can do all that at once. So, and pass and do high quality audio, you know, at the same time. So, you know, there's nobody, you might be able to do Dolby Vision at 4K60 or you might be able to do with high quality audio, you might be able to do high quality audio um, with 4K... 120 but no hdr or you might be able, you know don't know dolby vision etc so there's mix and match features right now and the hdmi 2.1 spec is kind of a mess there's no official specification for it sony has said that they're waiting for the specification to drop so that when it happens they can certify their console as having all the hdmi 2.1 relevant specifications and uh, so they're waiting for the certification to drop from the official um body that certifies hdmi specifications and as it happened yet the console's out in you know a couple weeks so so it's it'll be interesting to see how that how that irons out but they will be capable of for the, once the once the issue gets ironed out of doing up to 120 frames a second on at 4k in some instances which is just going to be an incredible amount of smoothness now every game it's not going to use this. Most games, in fact, probably won't use it because they'll want to increase the visual fidelity, increase other features, and uh, and maybe the quality of models and resolution, et cetera. And that'll be more important to them than having that really, really high frame rate. But for games that, that the visual fidelity is less important, maybe racing games or fighting games, we can crank that up even higher now. It's, it's something that's available to the new consoles. Another reason to upgrade. So yeah, and... Uh, there are some other things to talk about with the new consoles. They both have SSDs. An SSD is a drive. It's a hard drive that has solid state memory, which is the SS part, solid state. It means it doesn't have mechanical moving parts. It has memory that can be accessed uh, electronically as opposed to mechanically, whereas the old consoles had drives that mechanically had an arm that moved around and seeked on a platter in order to find data. It's a slow process, and it limited those consoles and it's limited all consoles because all consoles previously have either either used some type of readable memory which had its own limitations in speed or they've used optical media which is also very limited in speed or they used more recently mechanical drives which again you know an optical drive is also mechanical drive but mechanical magnetic drives which are faster than optical media in many cases but still very slow in comparison to solid state drives and so these new solid state drives enabling data to be streamed so much faster off of the drive that it's so fast in in the ps5 specifically which has a slightly faster ssd than the xbox series x um significantly faster in fact Uh, it's so fast in the playstation 5 that it's nearing what the random the random access memory the ram from the previous consoles was so whereas the previous consoles and most computers the way you use memory is you read it off the hard drive you put it into ram to be quickly accessed by the cpu and the gpu and then they do the work of using that data and spitting out something to you of an image etc running the game running the program now you can stream a lot of that data directly off the hard drive quickly enough to use it whereas before there was very few things you could stream directly off the hard drive a lot of it had to be put into ram and then streamed from ram so 
what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Why do you care? It basically means that load times are going to go away in a big way. Whenever you'd see a game loading, loading, it's, it's, you're, you know, you're changing levels, you're changing areas, you're changing weapons, you're changing whatever, whatever it is you're changing. The game has to load in data in order for you to be able to be in that area, that new level, experience that, whatever it is. That's going to be a thing of the past. It's going to be able to do it so quickly and, and in the background in many cases to where you will never see it. So a lot more games um, will have to, or will rather be able to use, you know, no no load style, no loading screen style presentation, where games like Uncharted and Last of Us have been doing this for a long time, but they have to do things to hide the loading, like have you walk through a corridor slowly or move something while they're secretly loading in the background. That'll be a thing of the past too. And also the way levels have been designed has largely always been so that you can have a, one chunk of data that represents a part of the level loaded. And then when you move into a new part of the level, you load that next chunk of data so that the maximum amount of data you can have for a given level is only part of the entire level so that each part can be a higher fidelity. Otherwise, the entire level would only be able to be at the level of fidelity of each chunk. So in order to like, you know, take a really complicated uh, area that's really processor intensive to render and render it and only it so that it can be done. And then you move to a new bigger area and you render that rest of that area that has to be done by streaming in the data. You're in one area, you move to a new area, it unloads the data behind you and loads up the new area that takes time. So previously you would do things like have to have corridors and chunks of the city broken up so that you have to go around a building or a corner and then they can unload that level behind you. So you can't turn around and look behind you and see you. There's no level because there's a building in the way, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that really, really was a huge, huge influence on how people were able to design video games. It's hard to make a game like GTA where you can just fly over the entire place and just look at everything all at once and go wherever you want almost instantaneously because then it has to stream in the entire game. So games like GTA did something called LOD, L-O-D, Level of Detail is what it stands for. And it basically means when you're up in the sky and you can see a lot of stuff, you can see all those things, but they're all at a really low level of detail so that they can fit in the memory and be streamed in and you don't see open blank spaces. When As you get closer to them and other things get obscured, by the level and and get too far away to see they change the level of fidelity so that it gets higher and higher so that once you get up close to it and you're looking at it up close it looks really nice but from far away it doesn't look as good and if you move really fast sometimes you'll get there before it loads into a higher level of detail and you'll see it looking not so good this is why things would happen sometimes you won't load at all like if you drive too fast on grand theft auto and a lot of the grand theft auto games the road will just disappear and that's because you're moving faster through the world than the game can load the textures of the road and then it just it you know it'll catch up if you stop and so to stop things like that from happening, you got to load in data faster. And that's what these SSDs will be able to do. Load in data so much faster that you won't ever have those issues. And you won't necessarily have to do different levels of detail. You'll just have at max level of detail. When you go up in the sky, you can see it all because it all fits on the drive. And the drive can render it out to the GPU and CPU fast enough to not have to load it into RAM. We're also doubling the amount of RAM in these new consoles, so that will help out with that too. So that's going to make 
game design completely different. People will be able to design games and not think about, oh, I have to put a building here because that way I can block off this part of the level so that when they go around the building, I can unload it and they won't see it being unloaded. And then we can have the next part of the level loaded. They don't have to think about that anymore because it can just load it in quick enough. And in a lot of cases, level of detail won't have to happen anymore because you can have everything stream in as fast as you can move over it or up to it. And so you'll be able to render things out farther and not have to see that change, which means as you zip up to them very quickly, well, they were already always loaded in at their full level of detail. So there's no worrying about them, you know, catching up to you or changing or the road textures going away in a video game. And that's something that we will see in this next generation. That's a reason to upgrade. And and so talking a little bit about backwards compatibility, the new consoles are backwards compatibility with uh, have backwards compatibility with basically all the games in the last generation. This means if you have PS4 games, you can play them on your PS5. If you have Xbox One X and uh, Xbox One games, you can play them. I guess they're all Xbox One games. Uh, you can play them on your Series X. You can actually play 360 games and original Xbox games on your Series X, which is awesome. Xbox has been really good about compatibility. PlayStation, you can play select games that were made available for PlayStation 4 that are PS2. Uh, you can't play any PS1 games, and um, PS3 games are only playable on the PS3 or through PlayStation Now, the streaming service. However, um, PS4 games should be completely basically all compatible there's a small list of games none of which i've ever played or care about that aren't i think it's like less than 10 games or something and none of them matter so of the 4000 or whatever games the vast majority are supported and you can play them on your ps5 and you'll get higher frame rates as we discussed earlier some of those 30 frames per second games will now be 60 frames per second with the same level of visual fidelity um you might get new features. You might get uh, HDR added to games that weren't previously added. That's something that Microsoft is doing automatically and specifically. It's something that Sony can do and that uh, I have not heard anything specifically about them doing but would not be surprised to see. So yeah, that's some reasons to upgrade is you can play your old games in a better way. They'll look better. In some cases, they'll run higher resolution or native resolution as opposed to using things like checkerboarding and they'll also have higher frame rates and we might even see things like ray tracing get added to older games we don't know but at the very least they'll run as good or better than they did on the previous console so that's another reason to upgrade now i'm going to talk about a couple features of the next generation of consoles that are specific to the playstation 5 the xbox and microsoft they kind of decided to go a direction where they looked at what was best about the Xbox One and Xbox One X and the current generation of consoles and also PCs that are designed for gaming. And they said, how can we just maximize all of that? How can we have a, a really powerful processor, an extremely powerful, huge GPU, uh, a really fast uh, SSD as our main drive? And let's just drag all the sliders all the way up and call it good. And, and that's pretty much what they've done. They haven't changed a lot from how their console is designed to play video games compared to the last generation. So so for the for better or worse we're just getting a refinement of the previous generation from Microsoft. Sony however is doing something a little bit different. Not only have they done different things with their CPU and GPU, they decided to go with a slightly smaller GPU than the Xbox and a, a different, slightly different CPU. And they decided to crank up the clock speeds of those extremely high to get more performance out of them. Instead of having more regular or, you know, normally clocked clock speeds on a bigger 
say, CPU or GPU, they're just clocking them extremely higher. Now, normally this would cause problems with heating, but they've created a heating solution that uses not only liquid metal as a media to transfer the heat off the processor and into the cooling system, but a huge heat sink, a giant heat sink, the likes of which has probably never been seen before or will be seen again in a home electronics product. And, and they're also um, using a really unique, really large fan in order to move a lot of air, uh, it seems like. And so that's their solution. They're going to use uh, higher clock speeds and other unique things. And so another thing they're doing unique that's different from Microsoft is that they've changed their controller. Their controller is going to be called the DualSense, whereas the previous generation was the DualShock 4, which was the fourth iteration of a controller that started on the original PlayStation, the DualShock, which was so named because it had two vibration motors in the handles. It also featured two analog sticks, which had previously been done by Sony on their analog controller. And so, yeah, it kind of revolutionized design back in the day with the original DualShock and the original analog controller saying, hey, rumble's important and analog control, dual stick style analog control is important. Most consoles since then have had a controller with dual sticks. Uh, Microsoft decided to offset their sticks and put a focus uh, on the on the left stick as being where the D-pad is on the DualShock. But for better or worse, it's a dual stick and vibration um, with the exception of the, the six-axis at the original launch of the PlayStation 3. It's been a, a world of, you know, controllers that have two sticks and have vibration. And the DualSense has two sticks and it has vibration. It actually has HD rumble, which is something Nintendo's done. I'm not sure how much different uh, Sony's implementation will be, if it'll be better or worse, or um, you'll be able to feel more or less, but they seem to be talking about it like it's uniquely uh, effective at transmitting the feeling of something into your hands when you're playing a game. So they used an example of moving across ice, feeling slick. They're making the controller feel like you feel the sliding. And moving across rough surfaces feel bumpy and feeling those little bumps in the controller or gritty, feeling those little pieces of grit. So sounds like a high level of um, accuracy and a high level of fidelity that's being put into these rumble motors or haptic feedback motors, if you will, that's going to make you feel things in the controller. Also, the triggers of the console are adaptive which means when you go to press the trigger, how hard it is to press down can change in real time. You can even have arcs, so you can make something like, you know, start out easy to push and slowly gets harder as it goes down closer to the bottom of its uh, ability to press. Or you could have something that starts out hard and then gets easier as you get lower. And there seems to be some type of motor that's resisting you that can be changed in real time by developers. And so this will be interesting to see too. That combined with the haptic feedback is going to do something for your hands and for immersion in the game that hasn't been done before. Um, you know, previously the game, you're able to say things to the game and it can give you visual feedback and it can vibrate the controller to give you feedback about what's happening, but it can't physically push back against you. It couldn't physically make you feel a difference in your ability to move the sticks or press the buttons. That was never been something that's been possible. And that's now possible with these adaptive triggers. You can you can feel how hard or soft something is by when you push on it with those triggers. So that's something that could really change our ability to understand materials in, in the world of a game, to understand uh, mechanics in the world of a game, 
yeah, just a lever being different by how it pulls, maybe different levers feel different. And so you have no visual or maybe even auditory feedback in the game that's telling you that these three levers are different, but how hard they are to pull is different. That's something we couldn't do before, really, you know, or at least affect as effectively. And now we can do really, really obviously and really easily. And so it'll be cool to see developers using that. That's something that we couldn't do on the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One X, something we can't even do on the Series X or Nintendo's console with the, with the adaptive triggers, triggers specifically. And so it'll be interesting to see how that's utilized. And that is a reason to upgrade. It's a reason to have these new consoles, specifically the PlayStation 5, so you can see what that means. How does that change how your gaming experience is? Can it really, really make you much more immersed? And, uh, you know, that's something we'll have to find out when the PlayStation 5 launches. Another thing the PS5 is doing, they're using something called uh, the Tempest 3D audio engine. Now, this is an audio chip that's built into the PlayStation 5, uh, much like consoles previously have had audio chips built into them. This chip is specifically built to do some things that haven't been done before um, ever completely and certainly never in a console which is it's uh built to trace audio sources in the same way we were talking about ray tracing earlier where it traces each ray of light how it bounces off polygons and where it what happens to it after it bounces how it scatters how it moves around and continues to bounce and how it changes each time it bounces it's doing that for audio and it's using some of the same processing cores that are built into the gpu of both of the new consoles it they basically took some of those cores and said now what if we make a chip with those cores that is specific to audio that's using these ray tracing cores to calculate where audio sources are moving and this is going to enable something called 3d audio and a specific type of 3D audio. So right now you have things like Dolby Atmos, which can support several sources. I think I've heard up to 32 or more sources of objects in a given audio environment. So when you hear things, you can hear them from behind you or above you. And there's, you know, lots of spaces. What what Sony's attempting to do with Tempest is make there to be almost infinite spaces, extremely high, thousands and thousands of different areas around you where you could possibly place a sound. And so this will enable you to have very, very spatial audio. In fact, the way you tell where something is coming from is by the frequency uh, it carries when it hits your ear and how that frequency is modulated by the shape of your actual ear. So the only, if you had no ear on the outside, you would barely be able to tell, which if you just had your ear, if you cut off your ear tomorrow, Vincent Van Gogh'd yourself and just had a hole in the side of your head. Now there would still be differences based on the inner ear and how things came in and bounced around, but you would have very, very difficult time telling which direction things came from. And that's because your outer ear and the shape that it has it affects the way audio bounces into your inner ear. So obviously if it's coming from the front, it's going to hit the back part of your ear and bounce down. And and then if it's coming from the back, it's going to hit that little flap by your earlobe and it's going to hit the back of your ear and be muffled slightly. And, and it's going to transfer through your skin that way. And there's just certain ways about the, the way sound is modulated and the way that frequency changes when it hits your ear and then eventually gets to your eardrum that tell you which direction it's coming from. This means that how you modulate that sound, um, how you change the frequency of a sound 
can make it sound like it's coming from different places, but that it's specific to each person's ear. And people have, if you've ever looked at people's ears, they, they're very different. And so there's something called an href, which I won't get into too much, but basically it's a little map that shows how sound changes when it hits your ear. And they record this by putting a microphone into your ear, a tiny little mic cable they put into your ear, and then they spin you around or spin speakers around you and they shoot sound at you and they see how that sound is different to the mic based on how it hits your ear and eventually makes it into your inner ear where the microphone and your eardrum are. And that can give them a profile saying, this is how your ear experiences sound. If they want to make something sound like it's behind you, then they know how your ear changed that sound to make it think it was behind you. And they can play it with that frequency from a speaker behind you. And it will sound like it's in that exact spot behind you to you because that's how your ear tells the difference it's how your brain tells the difference if it experiences that frequency modulation it will think that sound is behind me and that's what sony is attempting to do with 3d audio there whereas dolby they might just take a a middle href and say this is what an average of everyone's ears and they'll use that to modulate their frequencies to sound spatial and they'll also use say like maybe a 5.1 system with many speakers so that they can say okay this sound will come out of this speaker because this is where it is in the world sony's doing something different sony is saying we're going to modulate all the frequencies very accurately based on as close as we can get to your actual href and the way they're going to tell which uh, profile you have, how your ear looks, is at first they're going to test a bunch of people's ears and they're going to make a map of, you know, this is how far you can be away from the average, this is the mean, this is the, you know, far end of the spectrum the other way. And you'll be able to go along and pick one that's that's somewhere along the way. They'll have a bunch that are along the way and you'll pick anywhere, you know, however many, five or 10 different ones or maybe maybe more. And you'll pick the one that sounds closest to you. Maybe they'll have like a test where you can say, oh, does it sound like it's behind you, in front of you, above you, wherever. And they'll find the one that's most accurate to you and gives you the best spatial awareness of sound. And that's the one you'll use. But they've said that in the future, they may do things like, for example, they may have you send in a picture of your ear or a video of your ear and they use a neural network to look at your ear and figure out, you know, they've, they've scanned a bunch of ears. What ear are you closest to and how does the shape of that ear affect its eventual href and thusly what's the best href for the shape of your ear? And then you could get really accurate spatial sound. However they do it though, the end result is supposed to be you get an experience of knowing exactly where a sound is. And this could be really, 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 really important. This could incredibly change the level of immersion that you get when you're playing a game. Sound is incredibly important to how you experience a video game. Visuals are important, but sound is, in my opinion, just as important as visuals to how you experience a game. And as far as like spatially, you know, locating things, it can be more important because in a game you don't have, unless you're in VR, And even then, a lot of times you don't have a 360 awareness, you only have a certain field of view. And so you try to look around, you know, and it's it it can be difficult. You don't know what's behind you. But that's what you use your ears for both in real life and in a video game, you hear something, it sounds like it's behind you, you spin your camera around, you spin your character around, and you see it. And so that is something that is important in a video game and having that high, extremely high level of fidelity to the point we've it's something we've never experienced before that accurately could incredibly increase the ability of us to be immersed in a video game. So I'm really excited about that. Sony is uh, unfortunately the only ones doing it. Um, Microsoft has, hasn't said 
um, exactly what they're going to do in the realms of 3D audio. If anything, I assume they may have Dolby Atmos support, so they may have some spatial awareness support, but not on the level of what um, PlayStation is doing necessarily with this Tempest engine. And, um, you know, there is a lot to be said about how much that will be supported if it's a feature that, because it's specific to the PlayStation 5, will only be supported by uh, PlayStation 5 developers that are making PlayStation 5 specific games or Sony developers that are owned by Sony. But I think that Sony's pretty smart. And I think in the same way that you can implement ray tracing uh, in in a way that's just an overall implementation and say, hey, any light source, you know, that you want to have ray traced, it ends up getting ray traced. In the same way that you can do that, I think you can also do something similar with this 3d audio you can say hey you have an automatic feature that's available to all developers in the sdk that they can just literally check a box and they can say any object that you choose as being an object that's creating a sound so any object you tag as creating a sound it will modulate the sound of that object to sound like it is wherever it is in a given moment in 3d space so they could really make this something that anyone who's developing a game for the PlayStation 5 can just flip a switch and literally instantaneously have the ability to have a really, really high fidelity three-dimensional audio in their game. So those are the two things that I think are, are PlayStation specific that are reasons to upgrade. If you're going to get a PlayStation 5, that's a reason to own one. The 3D audio could be incredible. I'm really hoping that it's something that is just, like I said, um, they just let developers flip a switch and it's available to them. And so that we not only see it from Sony first party games, but from any game that's on PlayStation five, we'll have this incredible audio and I'll be really excited to see how that works out. So yeah, those are some reasons to upgrade. I hope that you understand now um, what these new consoles are offering and some reasons why you would want to upgrade. And now, um, I guess your decision is going to come down to uh, what are the differences between the Xbox and PlayStation and what about Nintendo? What if you're, if you're buying a new console and you don't own a Switch already? Should you buy a Switch? Should you compare the Switch to these two consoles? And I'll say that in the way that my main focus is of as a gamer is I love gaming. I like the actual act of playing a video game. Some people play video games and their biggest interest is how that the hardware or the software, how it's running. They really just want to see what's possible technologically I like that stuff I love that stuff but ultimately I want to play a game that I have fun with the experience with the gameplay with the narrative as far as the technology lends itself towards making that experience that immersion that narrative whatever better awesome but after that it's that's that's as far as it goes it's not important to me if if I'm playing a game that has a great narrative and a great art style and it looks beautiful and it doesn't happen to have HDR I, I'm not going to know or even care, or it's not going to affect my opinion of the game at all. Or if it's 4k 30 instead of 4k 60, but you don't need that extra smoothness or whatever in order for the game to be enjoyable, then it's not going to affect my experience. So I'm more about gaming. So I will say that if you're somebody who your favorite games are Mario games or Zelda games or animal crossing or things like that, if that's your favorite way to games to play and your favorite types of games there, you're not, you're never going to be able to beat a Nintendo switch. You're not going to be able to have to say that necessarily a, 
a PlayStation or an Xbox console is going to be better for you or a PC gaming or whatever or mobile because the Switch has is not only the only place that has those games, it's really the only place doing those types of games uh, on the level that they're doing it. They're only the, it's the only real place where you can go and say, okay, I'm going to have a really high-level platformer at least once or twice a year. I'm going to have a really high-level um, Animal Crossing-style game. You know, I don't, I don't really know what to call that. But yeah, but that style, that's the only place you're going to get it. So if that's for you, then, you know, then definitely pick up a Switch. I happen to have a Switch Lite, and I don't think there's any replacement for it. So you can't really compare it to the other consoles. So... As far as the difference between the Xbox and the PlayStation going forward, it comes down to a couple of things. Um, we've already talked about the differences and what they're doing with the controller with the DualSense on the PlayStation side. The Xbox controller is basically exactly the same with some minor tweaks to the dimensions and stuff and possibly the mechanics. But as far as how it looks and how it operates, the controller is exactly the same. So not a lot different going on with Microsoft's controller. So... With Microsoft, that's one difference. You're not getting anything different with the controller. With Sony, they're trying something very unique. 3D audio, same thing. Microsoft's not really doing anything specific, possibly using Dolby Atmos in games. We haven't really heard specifically if that's going to be something they're going to lean on. Um, Sony has been all about 3D audio from the beginning of the talk about the PlayStation 5 and what, what its features were going to be. They've talked about 3D audio, so that's going to be a huge focus. So that's the difference. If, if you want to know about 3D audio and a new controller immersion, the PlayStation 5 is where that's happening the most. Um, now, what are other differences? The Xbox has a higher teraflop calculating possibility. So basically, it's a more powerful console on paper. If you look at how many raw computational... Uh, how much raw computational ability it has, basically, how many triangles can it render in floating point rendering, and uh, you know how much data can it process. It can do uh, reported 12 teraflops, around 12 teraflops, whereas the PlayStation 5, I think, is rated at something like 10.3, 10.6, somewhere in there, 10.4. So yeah, it's a little bit lower. Um, how is that going to affect gaming? We don't know yet. From what we've seen from the games that are announced, we see a similar level of visual fidelity across the board. Um, as far as how that worked out for the previous console generation, there was a similar uh, difference between the PlayStation 4 Pro and the Xbox One X, and that sometimes would end up in slightly lower resolutions or or uh, features on the on the PlayStation Vi or PlayStation 4 version rather the pro version. So that could be a similar thing going forward. Maybe some games are 4k 60 with no kind of reconstruction on the Xbox series X. And maybe they do have to use some kind of reconstruction to hit full 4k 60 on the PS five, but maybe not. And the reason why maybe not is because the PlayStation five has a significantly faster solid state drive. So earlier when I talked about the advantages of having a solid state drive streaming in data, the PlayStation 5 is using a much faster solution. So the Xbox Series X uses uh, a Fizen controller. I think it's an E19T. It's a memory controller. It's the thing that talks to the hard drive and grabs the memory from it and gives it to the CPU or GPU. It's the chip that controls the flow of data from the hard drive. And the controller that Microsoft is using is a, a mid-range controller for PCs. So basically, if you're trying to find a a hard drive with a really powerful fast controller 
you would go for something more expensive and better if you were buying a PC. This would be something in the middle of the road. And that's what Xbox is using for theirs. And it enables them to do somewhere, uh, you know, around 3.6, 3.75, uh, you know, less than four gigabits per second, uh, significantly less than four gigabits, gigabits per second. Uh, transfer rate. So that's how fast they can move data and do all those cool things I was talking about and enable, you know, less LOD and no load times and stuff. The PlayStation has decided to go with a custom solution, a custom memory controller, whereas the Xbox's memory controller has four lanes of data. The PlayStation 5's memory controller has 16 lanes of data. So that means has a lot more. It's what it sounds like, basically, like more more lanes that data can simultaneously travel down. Um, the PlayStation 5's memory controller's throughput is rated at 5.5 gigabits per second raw and uh, up to 9 gigabits per second uh, compressed data. And they have a custom chip that does all the decompression so that it doesn't take any uh, processing from the CPU away in order to do that. As far as I know from Microsoft, their decompression is being done by the CPU or the GPU, which means they will lose a little bit of power and that could put them down uh, possibly slightly closer to that 10 point, uh, whatever teraflop number that the PlayStation five is, is using when it comes to the actual power that's available to games, than just straight up 12 teraflops. Cause they're going to have to use some of that for decompression, I believe. And so, so yeah, so it could end up being negligible because the PlayStation 5's drive is so much faster and the Xbox has a little more power. Those could be used in ways to to basically achieve the same level of fidelity and everything that's going on. Um, or there could be a big difference. I mean, memory bandwidth and 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 you know computational clock speed and 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 uh, raw teraflop power are not all directly relative. They don't affect the same things necessarily, but. We could see that advantage on the PlayStation side, that significant advantage in throughput. Again, that's almost twice as fast that you can move data from the PlayStation hard drive, almost twice as fast that you can move data from the PlayStation hard drive uh, into the CPU and GPU to be calculated and streamed out and put in RAM or whatever you're trying to do with it. So the PlayStation has a big advantage in the SSD, and we're not sure how much of a difference that's going to make. Again, this is the first time developers are taking advantage of having an SSD in the first place, so who knows how much of that they'll be able to use and take advantage of, but that's one main difference that you see between the two consoles. The Xbox went with a more raw power, um, more raw GPU power mainly, CPUs are very similar, um, but they also went with a lower clock rate and a more traditional cooling, and then um, less innovation and uh, cheaper storage that's also slower. Whereas PlayStation went with a really fast SSD, unique audio, unique controller, um, a unique data delivery method that we've never seen before with their custom memory controller, uh, but a lower power overall. Um, less storage. The drive is smaller. I think you'll have about 620 usable gigabytes of storage on the PlayStation 5 uh, built-in drive, whereas on Microsoft's drive, you'll have like eight, 700 plus, you know, almost 800 gigabytes of data. So, you know, about 20% more data or more on the storable on the Xbox drive, although it's slower, cheaper drive. It actually has, you know, just more raw storage. Both drives can be upgraded on both the new consoles. 
Microsoft has a proprietary card you can buy. Sony is certifying different SSDs that you'll be able to put into the PlayStation 5 in order to increase your uh, storage size. So both of them have similar uh, similar ways of increasing storage, slightly different with Microsoft having proprietary and Sony having um, maybe some more competition might drive down prices a little more. But right now, if you look at the drives that people are saying might work in the PS5, they're about the same price per gigabyte as the little card that they're making for the Xbox Series X. So while you don't have as many choices as far as speed, I think the Xbox Series X uh, drive is pretty much maxing out what its controller can do and uh, what its internal controller is doing anyway that they'll have to like you know rely on that'll be their bottleneck as as far as how fast they can have a drive be they can't have it an an external card be faster than the internal drive because then games wouldn't be able to assume that speed because they'd have to know that they might be running off the internal drive so i think that they've already maxed out their speed i don't think that they'll necessarily need to get better drives but as far as price coming down they don't really have a reason to lower the price whereas competitors competing for the most popular playstation drive will probably try to lower prices in order to compete so that'll be interesting to see um so the last thing that we, to talk about is the games the main difference between the two uh, upcoming consoles is the games you'll be able to play. And uh, a lot of studios are publishing, you know, studios that aren't owned by Sony or Microsoft will be publishing on both consoles that there will still be many third-party games that you'll be able to play no matter where you decide, what console you decide to buy or if you decide to buy one instead of both. But there are some differences as far as what games you can play on either console. Now, Microsoft recently bought ZeniMax, which is a company that not only makes games like the Elder Scrolls games and Skyrim and stuff, but they also own studios like Arcane and Bethesda who make games like Fallout and Starfield and Prey and Dishonored. And Microsoft owns other studios uh, now because of that uh, purchase, like id, who makes Doom and Wolfenstein. And they already owned um, some pretty significant studios like Double Fine, with Tim Schafer over there who made uh, the Psychonauts games and is making another Psychonauts game for the upcoming Microsoft console. And Ninja Theory, who made the Hellblade games, also making another Hellblade game coming up. Um, And uh, they own Obsidian, who made Fallout New Vegas. So if these are the types of games that you find yourself spending the most time on your console, if you're a big Skyrim dude, you spent thousands and thousands of hours in Skyrim and you're also into Doom or Wolfenstein and you also think like maybe that new Hellblade game or Fallout New Vegas was amazing or you were really into the Prayer Dishonored series Microsoft's console is probably for you that's probably those types of games are what Microsoft seems to go after and it seems to be what they excel at even gears and stuff like from the 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 Microsoft specifics like from actually from Microsoft and uh you know, something that they've pushed Halo, you know, like stuff like that. Those types of games are similar in that they have a focus on a more adult theme. Um, and that, yeah, they're, they're narrative driven to an extent, but they're very, very gameplay focused. And there's usually a lot of multiplayer focus and stuff like that. If those are the types of games that you're into, um, then I think Microsoft is probably the best place for you to go. Now, will you miss out on some things like the immersion of the DualSense controller? Perhaps will you miss out on 3D audio? Maybe, depending on how good it ends up being and how well Microsoft uh, leverages things like Dolby Atmos and stuff. 
but yeah, but as far as if you're just thinking about the games that you're going to be able to play and you can only afford to have one console or the other, I think that all those games I named, if those are your favorite games, then you should be on Microsoft's console. That's where you should be. Now, as far as Sony, if your favorite games are narrative-driven games where the story is very important and the way the game tells that story through how beautiful it is and the pacing and et cetera, um, if games like God of War, if games like the Spider-Man game or if platforming games like Ratchet and Clank or the infamous games or Ghost of Tsushima, if those are the games that you think of when you think of an incredible video game, The Last of Us, if that's the kind of stuff you think of, uh, games from studios like Santa Monica and Insomniac and Sucker Punch and Naughty Dog and the Uncharted games, if that's what you think of, you think of these story-driven games, Uncharted, um, you know, Guerrilla uh, Games, Killzone series, and more recently, the Horizon series, these just triple A, like 10 out of 10 from every magazine, just, just masterpieces of the criterion collection for lack of a better word of video games. If that's what you're into, then I think the PlayStation five is where you have to be, especially if you're only going to buy one console, there's just no question. And and if you're really trying to see where do video games go from here, what are they going to do differently? What's the future of video games? It, whether it's VR with the PlayStation VR and a possible new PlayStation VR in the future, or the immersion of, of this new controller style that lets you physically feel things in the world in, in a way you haven't before, or this 3D audio that lets you hear things in the world, uh, virtual world that you've never been able to hear in a way you've never been able to hear them before. If that's what you're looking for, the future of gaming, I think PlayStation 5 is where you have to be. And I think that you know, that's really the one of the major differences between the two consoles, too. Are you looking for new experiences? Are you looking for something that's the future? Or are you happy with gaming how it is and you just want to keep doing it how it's been done uh, in the best way possible with the with the most features that you can um, in that regard? You know, the most features that are, you know, features that have been common in the past that are you know, ubiquitous in this last generation, but just seeing them maxed out and done in a way that's the best way they can be done. That's Microsoft's console. That's what they're doing. Sony is doing the future. Sony's doing new different things that may or may not succeed. We don't know yet, but that's the excitement that I feel um, from the Sony side. And from the Microsoft side, I'm just excited to see them finally hit the ground running with a console that seems to be able to do everything that they want to do with their next generation of gaming, whether it's xCloud or whether it's uh, Game Pass. So, yeah, that's it. That's all I had to say. Um, that's basically my rundown of this upcoming console generation. I'm really interested to see uh, how these consoles sell when they come out. I think they're really easily going to sell out. I think both of them are going to sell out. And I think that it'll be interesting to see as the generation goes on um, where gamers move and what compels them to, to play on either platform. I personally have a PlayStation 5 on pre-order. Um, that's gonna be my next console. I'll think about the Series X down the road, probably more for backwards compatibility because I've mostly been a Sony guy, so I've missed out on some 360 and, and Xbox One games because um, most of the games I wanted to play were on Sony's platform. So. So going forward, I'll definitely have a PS5. I'll be getting back to you guys on what I think about it and uh, how some of these uh, crazy futuristic ideas Sony's doing are 
come to fruition. But I hope everybody uh, has gotten at least some understanding from this of uh, what the next generation is going to be like and where they want to spend their gaming time. And I appreciate you staying and listening to all of this. I hope it's given you some insight. Um, again, my name is Styles. I'm your Stylish MC. You can find me on YouTube under Stylish MC. That's S T Y L I S H E M C E E. Stylish MC, all one word. On YouTube, also on Twitter, Stylish MC. You can check me out on there. Um, I'm also, uh, you can find me on PlayStation under Psychomantis. That's S1GHK0MANTIZ. Again, Psychomantis on PS4. That's S1GHK0MANTIZ. Thanks again, folks. I hope you have an excellent evening, and I'll see you all at console launch. <laughs>